Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle L. Frank and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. Absolutely nothing tells you that it's fantasy baseball draft season like doing a recap of a fantasy baseball draft. Yes, we will have our first recap of 2024, and we're lucky enough to have one of the participants. Ray Flowers is back with us here at Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com. Kyle Ulfring on this end. Ray was uh, up late last night drafting in the league of alternative baseball reality, a mixed league draft, and uh, he is very happy to report to us this morning uh, that he was pleased with the time. It, it, it Ray, usually I, I get you after these drafts and you moan mm-hmm. and groan about how long it took, but mm-hmm. not not today with, with the labor mixed draft. No, I had the 10th pick out of the 15 teams, so it was a 15-team mixed league, and uh, we cranked it out. Everyone hold your breath, because it's a long draft for some people if they're used to football. In under four hours... <laughs> which is pretty good for a 15-team league with 29 rounds. Uh, I was so pleased to see once the clock started for that first pick that it was set at 60 seconds and not 90 seconds. The crew did a good job last night. Well, I, I will compare it, Ray, to the draft I am currently in, okay. which is uh, with Tout Wars. Mm-hmm. And and I knew this going in, but for those who have followed Ray Flowers for many, many years, uh, nothing chaps his ass more True. than being in a slow draft. True. So, Ray, I, Ray, I'm in a, a 50-round slow draft, um, which these usually lead up to, like, late March. I mean, yeah. these, <laughs> these drafts take a full month. Um, they allow eight hours be- between picks, Ray. Okay. Uh, we started yesterday at uh, 1 Eastern. Okay. It is now 11 Eastern. 35 picks down. That's and that's generally they start right. They start really well and then, but that's a really three rounds. That would be slow for the early round. That's a really good start. Yeah, I hope it keeps up. Well, and the other thing they do is uh, they do take a break overnight. That's another uh, moment that that perturbs Ray is not having that break. But I think from the break is from like nine p.m. Eastern until maybe. Or maybe it's 11 p.m. Eastern, but it's up until 9 a.m. So pretty well overnight. We don't have to worry about things. Uh, we started up a couple of hours ago. We've yet to get a pick in. So we're, we're still waiting for somebody to make that pick. I, I may have a chance of making a pick live on air. Um, when that draft gets done, which is probably five weeks from now, uh, maybe we'll recap it. <laughs> but we will recap Ray's draft from last night, which was uh, 15 teams, as he noted, 29 rounds. We'll take a look at the squad he put together, maybe some of the other developments in that uh, LABR draft. And it is uh, expert draft season. Uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about labor, a lot about tout wars, our friends over at SiriusXM uh, Fantasy Sports Radio. They cover almost all of these. Um, I know Ray and I are getting set for a big weekend with uh, labor uh, next week, I think it is. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'll be doing all sorts of auctions, both mixed as well as mono leagues. So uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. But today we'll focus on the straight-up draft that uh, Ray went through last night in labor. Additionally, we hit you with the regulars, if you will, on FSD. Uh, we're going to talk Babbitt from the uh, Fantasy Baseball uh, Draft Guide that they have over at FantasyGuru.com. Ray always has some things to follow with Babbitt. Uh, Cleveland Guardians will be the team that we preview. We'll continue our look at shortstops today. Talk about a few of the bums from last season. Some big names, by the way, on that list of guys who struggled a bit 
2023. Also, we have news of new homes for Liam Hendricks and Ahmed Rosario. Not huge names, and certainly in the case of Hendricks, probably not even draftable names because he's going to miss a majority of the season. But Ahmed Rosario might have landed in a pretty decent spot. Um, and additionally, we will have news on Aaron Judge. Uh, Ray, the toe is is still a thing. And, and I was just looking at that labor draft um, last night, Ray. 13th out of 15 teams. Uh, that is, you know, he's still a first round guy there. But for a 12-team league, Ray, that's falling out of the first round, which is not really a spot Aaron Judge has been. Maybe this news uh, truly is affecting <laughs> his status for 2024 in the eyes of many. Yeah, they talked about this on the broadcast last night. Uh, people can still find it on demand at SiriusXM. Uh, and they were kind of saying that, you know, you still take the shot. And I'm like, I, I, what do we have? Let me pull it up real quick. We have Aaron Judge in the outfield. Not overall, just in the outfield in eighth. So I've not, he's not a first round pick for me and yeah. I get why he is. Uh, he's a dynamic player, but you got to look at this, Kyle. He's played 115 games twice in six years. He's a huge guy. He's got the toe issue now that they're already talking about. I think you have to be concerned about how many games he's going to play at this point. We will dig in a bit more into Aaron Judge, labor draft as well. But before any of that, let's dig into the uh, specials. We always like to remind you. Um, I was going to say it's never too late, but it may be too late at some point. Ray's reminded us this this early bird special is not going to last forever, mm -hmm. uh, but Ray, it's still available as of today, correct? Yeah, the early bird special. Ah, let me, let's, before I, <laughs> I was going to check at this exact moment. I yeah, um, the early bird special for baseball, let's click in here. It's $50. Use the promo code FSD20, FSD20. That drops it down 20%. Uh, as of right now, it still is, Kyle. So it's $50 for the early bird. Of course, you can pay that if you'd like. Uh, if you'd like to, you can use the promo code FSD20, though, and knock another $10 off. Uh, it's full season content all the way to the World Series. So it's not just the preseason. Articles, Discord, rankings updated every month, all that kind of stuff. We've also got the all-in NFL package. If you're interested in off-season NFL, we'll cover the faux NFL leagues. What are they even called at this point? Is it the UFL? What is it? What are they calling it, Kyle? Uh, they merged. Yeah. So I don't know which which name took I over. I want to say it's maybe XFL kind of took over as the name of the I, new league. I forget what it is. It's too early in the morning. It's 8 o'clock here. Uh, we'll cover that. We'll cover all the, the uh, running up to the draft. Uh, we'll cover the reviews of last season. So all that's included in the all-in package for football. It's $19.99 right now. And then the big package is the NBA All-In Package, which includes NBA, NHL, college basketball, PGA, MMA, soccer, and racing. And all of that is only $75. So we got a lot of ways to get involved. And as always, use that promo code FSD20 to help you get a discount. Okay, so there you go. You're set and ready to rock and roll. And uh, hey, I, I know a lot of people are now starting to think more and more about baseball get a hold of that draft guide. Uh, it's absolutely huge. It's updated each and every day, new articles. We've been talking about the articles. And certainly, I just want to remind everybody, because sometimes they look and they think, draft guide, $40. Oh, my God. This is not only the preseason stuff. This is all year long, April, May, June, July, August, September. Uh, you know, a lot of people can quit come July. They get ready for football. Ray and his crew on the baseball side, they don't. They keep rolling with baseball. Columns will still be going up. You'll have access to all that. Ray will still be answering your questions. Uh, if you are serious about fantasy baseball or if you want to become serious about fantasy baseball, uh, none better than uh, getting that draft guide and get the season-long coverage that Ray provides. Okay, let's jump into this uh, labor mix draft. Uh, and for, for those who don't know, 
Um, this has been a, a long, long running league. Uh, the league of alternative baseball reality started by USA Today and the uh, the old Baseball Weekly. I guess it's been close to thirty years. I think maybe this is year thirty, year thirty one, something like that. Um, and and they've expanded. I mean, Ray, at the start, this was not a league that was there in nineteen ninety four, whatever right. it was. They they were going straight auctions in L and AL. Uh, they were doing it over the phone. I think we've heard all the stories. Steve Gardner now is a, kind of the head honcho of everything that's going on with these leagues. And late, you're right, you've been a part of these leagues for a number of years. Um, this has always been an online draft uh, coming up here. I guess this upcoming week or so, uh, we'll start having some in-person drafts down in Florida that a lot of experts will be participating in. But Ray, as you look at last night's get-together, mixed leagues, 15 teams, uh, 29 rounds. It's It's a deep call. It's a deep run. Uh, the first round, you know, just to give people a rundown, Acuna went one. We're seeing that almost everywhere. No surprise. Uh, two, three, and four can be different. You know, Julio Rodriguez went number two here. Bobby Witt Jr. went three. Corbin Carroll, four. Probably the first surprise, Ray, was there at number five. Uh, Derek Van Riper of The Athletic uh, not only goes pitcher, but goes early at pitcher, number five, goes Spencer Strider. And then, in fact, in the second round, he goes with another pitcher, Corbin Burns. He was the only expert in this league out of 15 of them that started pitcher pitcher in this labor mix draft yeah and we all we know dvr great guy great analyst and we know he's an aggressive drafter he's always aim high. yeah always yeah. aim high yeah so if if, if you know a user did this i'd be like whoa that, this is not the but dvr's got a plan so not the plan i would enact i don't think it's a plan again that 98 percent of people listening or watching should enact I think it really puts you in a tough spot because if either Strider or Burns struggles or gets hurt, you have that hole to fill, which you're not going to fill. Uh, and then secondly, you're passing on these guys that are 2020 players, 30, 30 players, the dynamic offensive players you just don't get. And so it's a very risky, very aggressive strategy. It's different in an auction because if you do this in an auction, you can still pick and choose which players you want to fill out your roster. In a snake draft, you're basically left with whoever is left that no one else took. So it's, it's very risky. It's very dangerous. And it's interesting to me, I, again, I wouldn't recommend it at all, but it's interesting to see how he backfilled behind that because he also did things like take a chance on Royce Lewis, who we talked about last yeah. week. If, it's risk everywhere with his yeah. team. I mean, buying Vlad, hopefully on an MVP seat, you know, if right. I can get back to that, he gets him in third round. You mentioned Lewis. Cody Bellinger doesn't have a team. Yeah. You know, so there's that uncertainty. Jackson Trio. I mean, he took him early. He, he's drafting Jackson Trio the ninth round. Uh, to be in effect like a 30-20 dude, if not better. I mean, that that's drafting him to be the rookie of the year. And then, uh, you know, I, I will say on the back end with the pitching, Ray, he he did go with veterans that he hopes, you know, he can get 150 innings out of at mm -hmm. least. Guys like Darvish, Savale, Talion, Severino. He went late with Jake DeGrom, but he got him in the 25th round. <laughs> so it, it's a typical high-risk, high-reward thing from uh, from DVR. In this league, we do have unlimited aisle spots. Okay. So that does help. Uh, but I'll also hinder you because when you go to the waiver wire, if everyone's got seven guys on the injured list, there's no one to pick up. Um, again, not the way I would put a team. I took a lot of risk with my team in a different way. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't recommend what DVR did, but again, you know, a lot of people, and it was said over and over again. And I think this is how a lot of the quote unquote experts play it. They don't necessarily play it. Here's exactly how my rankings go. They mm -hmm. play it. I want to finish in first and I don't yeah. care if I finish in 14th. Yeah. And I think that's one of these teams.
and and the the logic of that ray is you and almost all these people in here i mean these are very industry heavy names Absolutely. i mean everybody's in 15 20 leagues <laughs> you know you get to a point at the end of the season where you have to really own in hone in on on the two or three that you're going for a title with um which again i you know for most general people out there maybe you're in two leagues one league uh, it's a little different for the experts so they kind of do have this high risk high reward they get to mid-july and they decide where they're going to focus uh, that's just the reality of the situation. So Strider, Strider goes fifth. Only pitcher in the first round in this labor. Uh, Betts, Tucker, Tatis, three straight outfielders. Freeman, Raven jumps in at number 10 and gets Juan Soto, followed by Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, Aaron Judge. We're going to talk about both those guys later in the show. Shohei Atani and Jordan Alvarez, a couple of UT-only hitters, go 14 and 15. Otani now with the Dodgers, hitting only, and uh, Jordan Alvarez. Ray mentioned Juan Soto. Was was there much debate in your mind? We we should note um, this is not OBP. This is batting average. Yep. But was there any doubt with Juan Soto at number ten for you in that first round? Yeah, just so everyone knows, after this, I wrote. I do it every year during this draft. I do a diary during the draft. So I'm, as I'm drafting the team, I'm writing this. Uh, the article will be up about an hour after the show today. So I'll link it here and everything, and uh, people can read it for free. My review of the whole draft. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of debate. Uh, the only comment I ever write before the actual draft itself is the first round comics. It's like, this is what my, I'm leaning. Here's, here we go. And it's really fascinating because I had Soto, Turner, and Otani as that group. Um, ultimately, I went with Soto. And you can see my team there on the screen as well. I went with Soto over Otani, which is a difficult decision because I think if everything plays out, everyone's healthy, everyone's I think Otani generates more fantasy value. I just looked at it as it's very difficult to take a first-round player in a 15-team league that's going to be UT only. Mm -hmm. It really limits your flexibility. Now, again, if, if Otani's fully healthy, he could still win the MVP as a hitter, right? So that was a very difficult decision. You get the speed piece with him. You get even more speed with, with Trey Turner. So, again, he was a guy I love. You know, I've talked about him a lot. So there was debate, but I figured, you know, floor-wise, Juan Soto with the Yankees, Aaron Judge, all of that, I thought the floor was pretty damn high. You mentioned uh, the team that you've put together there, and, and people can take a look at it for those following along. And just to give a rundown of, of where some of these big names landed, Soto in the first, uh, Ray Wentland Door in the second, took a shot on Seager in the third, and a shot on Yamamoto in the fourth, and a shot, Ray, on Mike Trout in the fifth. So, you know, hey, one of those guys I could see Ray Flowers taking a shot on in rounds three, four, and five. Little surprised to see you, Mr. Oracle, go with those three. And and Seeger, I don't know if it's really a risk. We everything we've heard is that yes, he's injured now, but this is we'll let it rest, we'll let it heal. Maybe he misses a few days, a week to start the season, but after that he should be fine. So maybe throwing him in with Yamamoto and Trout isn't fair. But he is injured now. Mm -hmm. We know that. Yamamoto, never seen him pitch. Right. And we talked a lot about Mike Trout yesterday, Ray. And you I were said. yeah, you were you were rather down on Trout, but you said, Oh, there might be a place or two. I take him in the fifth round. I guess last night at Labor was one of those two or three spots. Yeah, and I, I wrote that as I was again drafting him last night. I'm like, boy, I said this morning, you know. Um, <laughs> and here's why. It, it it in the way the draft played out. I've got one outfielder through four rounds. That's okay, but there's a lot of dynamic players in the outfield, right? And the outfield starts to get pretty thin quickly from that dynamic group if you wait too long. I don't know if Trout's in that dynamic group or not yet. Any, any more, excuse me, because we talked about this. He really doesn't run. 
I think the combination, and I said this on the broadcast last night, the combination of Corey Seager and Mike Trout is not ideal. Okay, it's not. Because uh, because I think, what are we looking at, 135 games for both guys, if everything goes right? Like, that's, a, that's not ideal. But the way I looked at this is I was going to do two things. One, I was going to pound the counting categories on offense, which I think I did. Secondly, I was going to go young pitching. And th- so this is not a traditional build for me. You know, most, if I'm, if, you know, most of the leagues, I will not build this way, but this is a way a lot of people build. I get questions all the time for teams that are built this way. So I thought, all right, let me try to replicate what everyone always asks. We can follow the team throughout the year and see how it does. But it was a little bit of a rough combination, though. It was, it, I had a plan, but it is, again, ideally, you wouldn't do it. 15 team league, all these experts, no one's going to slide, you know, so you got to take some shots here in this league. It's a lot different than a home league. Let's talk about that pitching because the first nine pitchers that you took, let's say roughly speaking, your starting pitchers, they all are starting pitchers except for Craig Kimbrell. Now, it's worth noting, Ray, late you went Jason Adam, Will Smith, Yanner Cano, um, three guys within four picks, I think, of each other. So you built a bullpen, but it was much more backloaded. Kind of talk about that strategy. Even you know, even if you go one reliever, Ray, I bet people would have hoped or would think that you would have gone class A or you would have gone hater, you know, to get that one reliever. And then it's fine in rounds 22 through 28, you know, pound it with bullpen arms, big arms, eighth inning arms, guys who can maybe get a handful of saves. But you got Craig Kimbrell as as that lone gun. So talk about that decision. And then also the decision of going so heavy with the starters versus getting any bullpen like in the first 20 picks. Yeah, the, the fact of the matter is, and I write about this every year, there's a huge article, should we remove saves from fantasy baseball? I talk about moving to souls and I go through the history of this. The relief position has zero, not 5%, not 7%, zero consistency from year to year. There is no consistency. The only reliever in baseball who has saved 30 games the last three years is Josh Hader, one guy. So this idea that everyone has, like you get that star in the bullpen and he's going to give you those 35 saves. There's one guy that's done it. 30 saves the last two years, Clause Romano, Hader, Presley. Four guys in all of baseball have 30 saves the last two years. So to me, there's just too much volatility at the spot. Too much volatility. And you look at this draft, by the end of the fourth round, there were like seven closers taken, which is crazy. And every time I kept thinking to myself, all right, I'll get a closer here. Two more would get drafted. And I'm like, well, I'll go next round. Two more get drafted. I'll go next round. And it just got to the point where, you know, the price I would have to have paid there isn't worth it. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just not worth it. So I ended up getting Kimbrell, who I think can save 25 or 30 games to the Orioles. I got Yonner Cano in the reserve round. So I feel pretty good that I've got the Orioles closer, which I think is attractive. I considered doing the same thing. Uh, with Will Smith and James MacArthur and the Royals, obviously went with the, the Orioles thinking that's a better situation. I, I like the skills yeah. of the pitchers better. So that I, I just ended up in a scenario where, Kyle, the bullpen, it was just too expensive. So I ended up going heavy with the pitching. Well, and you mentioned the bullpen going early. I mean, Paul Sporer, who was drafted at the turn, uh, Ray, this is a very interesting draft because not only do you give Jordan Alvarez as a UT first round pick, which is fine. I mean, Alvarez can hit the hell of the baseball. He's, he's a fine player, but you kind of talked about the, the um, lack of options if you go UT in the first round. But then he followed that up with three straight pitchers, two of them closers. So he goes Garrett Cole in the second round, Hader in the third round, Clase in the fourth round. Again, this is like DVR to the extreme, the, the, those picks. 
And and we were talking before the show about that. And, and that is very unique. I mean, there was, I look at, who is it? Uh, Jenny Butler of FTN Fantasy. You know, this is very interesting. Otani and Harper, which I guess as of now are UT only. Harper's, Harper's first get, base. Harper's first oh, base. Does Harper have it's first base? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because he would. So you get, you start Otani Harper, but then four straight pitchers for her. Edwin Diaz, Johan Duran, that's a couple of closers. I mean, Bobby Miller's your first SP. Yikes. Holy moly, that's a lot of hype for Bobby Miller. But you see both those two owners at the back of, of the draft, picks 14 and 15, very unique builds. And that can throw off the whole draft as you get into those, you know, rounds three through eight. Everything is is altered because of what those two owners did very early in their draft. Yeah. And again, DDR and Paul could finish one and two. Like it, this, these are strategies that absolutely can work. I just think it, you, you make it more difficult on yourself doing that. If you do anything too much, there's a concern, right? You, you want to be more broad. You want to have and not a penny stock approach where we're going to put all our money in that and hope to hit it rich. We're going to have a, a broad perspective here. We're going to take a look at everything. We're going to have some bonds. We're going to we're going to have a, a portfolio that's diversification. Very, correct. That was the word that was just coming out. I couldn't think of it. Diversified. That's what I think is the best way to do this. So you get a little bit of power, you get a little bit of speed, a little bit of outfield, a little bit of infield, a little bit of pitching. And that just, I think it's it's a good way to build. And it also allows you that freedom, which I talked about with the Otani, the non-Otani in the first round decision. If you lock yourself in at UT in round one, it's fine because Otani could be the MVP, but you're locked in. It limits your flexibility a little bit. And you know, when you're Paul and you take two closers in the first four picks, those guys could give you 78 saves, right? You could be first in, in the whole league with those two guys. But at what point do you take another closer? Or are you locked out of closers? Maybe you're sitting there in the 10th round. You love this guy, but it just doesn't make sense because you've already got these two. So if you aggressively target one direction at the at the, the negative of all the other directions, you, you pigeonhole yourself a little bit and, and you make it difficult because if either Hater or Clause gets hurt, He's got a problem here because you look at his team, like I'm looking at his squad. He doesn't have another reliever. He does mm -hmm. not have another reliever on his roster. So if one of those two guys goes down, he doesn't even have a pivot he can turn to. He'd have to go to the waiver wire. Yeah. And the waiver wire, as you noted, pretty thin with unlimited IL spots, which yeah. just a quick aside, I hate that. <laughs> hate unlimited IL spots. So if you're building a league, you got to limit it or your waiver wire is going to be nothing. Because people will just pile up injured player after injured player after injured player. They've got a 40-man roster, and 10 of it will be guys on the IL. It's just silly. Um, we, we, we sometimes can fall into the trap, Ray, when we're looking at a draft and looking at a team, and I'm sitting here with a guy who drafted a team. We can fall into this trap, Ray, of the mutual backscratch society where, oh, Ray, this is great. Ray, this was great. Ray, this. I will say, Ray, if I have a criticism here, I don't like this infield. Okay. I don't like it. I mean, it's Seager and Lindor, fine. But man, Yandy Diaz, Brendan Rodgers, Max Muncie, Luis Rangifo, it's just, you, you may win it, but those are guys that I'm not excited about. You cannot quit Brendan Rodgers, Ray. We need oh. to get you off this train once and for all. Fantasy Pro said I had the third best draft. Um, okay. <laughs> but no, you're right. I, I And you know, it's it's one of those things. It's it's difficult for people to understand. Sometimes they look at these drafts. A lot of people are in ten team leagues, or they're in yeah. twelve team leagues of twenty six rounds. It's you know, it's fifteen teams, twenty nine rounds. It's tough, and everyone, no one in this room is letting someone fall fifty eight spots past their ADP. So you're not like finding a bargain late, like and have Ray ask you a question like, "How the hell did you put this team together?" Well, you know that doesn't happen here. So I think it's you. It's it's usually a scenario where you walk away and you're you're weak somewhere. 
It's just, I think if you look at every team, they're weak somewhere. To your point, uh, is the infield banging? Well, up the middle, it's fantastic. The rest of it, eh, you know, and that's, it wasn't ideal. I I did give myself a couple outs. Kevin Biggio qualifies at three positions. Luis Rangifo qualifies at four positions. You know, the idea of Brandon Rogers, that was, I'm looking at second base and, you know, I got, I needed a corner. I need a middle or corner infield. There was no one there. There's just, and the like four guys I identified would just boom, boom. So there, it was one of those things where, yeah, I'm sitting there going, and I even wrote it in the review that'll be out later. I can't quit Brandon Rogers. You're number five. He's going to find, you know, it's, that is your weakness, Ray. You and him are tight. You and yeah, Brandon we are. Rogers. But, but I mean, you, you look at this, like who else got drafted late? Like in the middle infield, you know, Marco Luciano, the rookie, Wilmer Flores. I mean, Bryce Terang. Bryce Terang was the guy I almost went with instead of. uh, Did you you wait too long? Well, well, yeah. Yeah. Look at my (laughs) team. Yes. Um, I guess what I'd throw out there, Ray, is Mm -hmm. this is what I'd say. Just a quick look. Yeah. Drafting a second catcher before my second baseman. I guess that to me, it's like, I'm not going to. Now you've got two decent catchers in a 15 team league, but to me, in a in a league set up like this, I'd have to get that set. I'd be looking at that second baseman before that second catcher. I'd be well, looking at a lot of positions starting wise before a second catcher, I guess. Yeah. And and what I what I was going to do is I was gonna take Brandon Lowe. Uh is it Lau? Brandon Lau. He's the Lau. Brandon Lau. Uh, but he, he went before I could take him the next round. I was gonna take him after D- Diaz. Okay. I just looked at the catcher spot and it's like the cliff was there to me. Diaz is the last guy. And then it's, then it's like, I'm hoping Jan Gomes has another season at 38 years it old. It is a cliff. I give you that. There yeah. was a significant cliff. So um, that spot. I, I was going to take Langleers in the 19th round, the round before. And then I was going to take Brandon Lau. That was my plan. Now those two guys might've hit 230, but they could have hit 59 home runs. That was my plan. Both guys got taken right before it was my, so I had to pivot a little bit. I felt really dirty making the Diaz pick. I think I made the Diaz pick with like two seconds left on the clock. Like it was the <laughs> longest wait. Cause I was like, God, I really don't want to do this, but I eventually did it. Yeah. Uh, draft is up. Ray will have a write up probably later this afternoon, Ray. This uh, I think it'll be mid well, East coast, probably around one, one o'clock or yeah. so two o'clock East coast. Okay. Um, and the link is rtsports.com slash LABR dash mixed dash draft. Ray will also have a link um, in his column for that. So you can take a look at uh, how these 15, Experts put their squads together. So a uh, lot more to discuss there, but we'll leave it uh, for now. You know, we got other things, many other things to discuss, including Aaron Judge, Ray. Um, you kind of noted it there in the preview. Uh, this toe thing, I remember when it happened on that Saturday night in L.A., and it wasn't seen as like a disaster when Aaron Judge ran into the right field wall and right. kind of limped around. He thought, oh, maybe a couple of days, and it was with him all season. And the the frustrating part, Ray, is it's now with him entering this season, or at least he's very open about the fact that um, it's probably never going to be 100%. I mean, he said, for my career, we're going to have to manage this thing with my toe. Now, I don't know if it's worthy of saying, oh, I've got to drop him out of the first round, or he's now a second or third rounder. I mean, you're rather negative, but when you're a big dude and it's like, wow, is a a big dude going to be knocked out by a little thing like a toe? It, it sometimes, Ray, is not something that will piss him off in April or May or June. But you get to August and you're like, oh, my God, this is becoming such a pain in the rump or a pain in the toe, as this may be. 
he will be able to tough it out. They will be able to get cortisone shots. Um, but I, I just think, Ray, it eventually leads to something where it's like, you probably want to be a DH. You know, you probably don't want to be in the field as often. And and Judge is fine in the field. Judge can play center field. But now I, I just think defensively, which we don't normally care about, but probably affects him a bit. It, it, probably the biggest thing here, Ray, is stolen bases, maybe. I, you know, if you're going to stretch things out and try to guess. It, it's just something you don't want with any first-round pick is the fact they go into the season and they're telling you this is going to be a bother all year. That That's kind of what I can say, Ray, is that's a negative to me when looking at guys, and therefore, I do like Otani more. I do like Alvarez more or Bryce Harper more or probably Austin Riley more. These guys are supposedly coming in healthy, whereas Aaron Judge, not that he's unhealthy, but he's never going to be totally right all year long. Yeah, and I think there is... There has to be, and we don't know quantifiably, but there has to be a difference between being 6'1", 190, and being 6'8", 270. I mean, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have, and I've talked about this before many times, won't reiterate the whole thing. I had a toe issue years ago. It hurts like hell. And it's like, I used to hear it and be like, toe. No, it hurts like hell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I'm weighing 185 pounds and he's weighing 280 pounds, it's a huge difference. And, you know, I think that the positive side of this for Aaron Judge is that Giancarlo Stanton will get hurt at some point. They will probably be able to then use Judge at the DH, use Trent Grisham, who's a very strong defensive player out in center field. So they have they gave themselves some pivots there. But I noted it earlier. Yeah, he's played 145 games two of the last three years, Aaron Judge. But those are the only two times in six years he's played 115 games. So we have a track record here of a guy that struggles to stay in the lineup. We have the admission that the injury last year that wasn't supposed to be a big deal that cost him 55 games. Mm-hmm. is going to be something they have to monitor. That's not good, especially when you've got a guy like Giancarlo Stanton, despite being in better shape this year for baseball. He's a guy that misses games and everything. You can't play him in the field. He's a butcher out there at this point. So they, it's tough. Uh, I Again, I'm just not I'm not willing to pay the price that others are at this point with Aaron Judge. Yeah, and it is a hefty price first round. Again, it's, it's not that Aaron Judge can't be a first rounder. He absolutely can. Sure. It's just when you're looking at guys in the first round, um, even though we can't guarantee anything, we'd like to guarantee as much as we can, which is and, and one thing I've always held on to it most notably relies with pitching. But I've always said, you know, you, you're always fearful guys are going to get injured. Why are you drafting guys early who are already injured? People do that all the time. That was the Jake DeGrom thing. Yeah. It's like people just say, oh, you're going to be fine. I mean, I was talking about it with Ray and Corey Seager. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully by the time we get to late March and, and we're in our drafts, our home league drafts, whatever it may be, Seager's on the field. Seager's doing things, but right now you're drafting a guy who's injured, you know, and, and I realize when you're drafted on February 21st, you know, you're, you, you play the reports, you know, six weeks from now, surely he'll be fine. You know, that's the plan. But I think as we get closer and we're going to see guys missing time, we're already seeing guys with oblique injuries and, and things popping up. One way to, to avoid that excuse. And it's always used. How's your fantasy team going? Well, it would be great except for injuries. Well, who'd you draft? Well, you drafted four guys who were injured on April 1st. Yeah, I mean, you, you made that choice. And I think with judge Ray, it, with the first round cost, it's such a significant investment that you just want to be with somebody who doesn't have an issue coming into the year. And, and that's why to me judge, sure. There's a spot where he falls. And I say, what the hell I got to go for this. But in the first round, that's not the spot anymore for me with Aaron Judge. Yeah, and he hit 300 a couple years ago, but he's not a 300 hitter, okay? 
He stole 16 games a couple years, 16 bases a couple years ago. He's not a 16 still guy. He's never had another season with 10. To your point, he only had three steals last year. So if we're ha- we're talking about him hitting 275 with six home runs, which I think is fair. I mean, six steals, excuse me. 275 with six steals. He better be hitting 47 home runs. Yeah. And he's not going to hit 47 home runs if he's playing 112 games. So again, he could he could be the league MVP. He hits the ball as hard as anyone who's ever lived. We've seen magical, majestic, out-of-this-world seasons from him. This is all within the realm of absolutely possible. And maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm looking at my own team with rose-colored glasses that we're talking about the labor team last night. Corey Seager is a health issue, yes. Mm. That's third round. That is different than first. It's still early, and like I said, it's not ideal. But it's much different than in the first round, at least in my opinion. But again, maybe I'm biased. Well, and and is Corey Seager saying this is something I'm going to deal with the rest of my career? No. No. (laughs) <laughs> so that's a difference too I, I mentioned the steals up front with Judge I, I would be shocked if he ever got back to double digits and he was at 16 two years ago and it's not talked about much but the three last year Ray you know I'd love to see the breakdown of well I don't need a breakdown it wasn't good he didn't run before he didn't run after the toe injury uh, that's probably not coming back the Yankees aren't going to risk that not with this guy there's no reason for him to run so and we're hearing he could bat third Mm-hmm. That also takes away the the, the running. So, uh, you know, Judge is, is one of those guys. It's risky. Just just to let you know, it is risky. He is also one of those guys, Ray, who uh, throughout his career has been really good with a batting average on balls in play. Hmm. Uh, for his career, and this kind of speaks to hitting the ball very hard, 340 is Aaron Judge's BABIP. Uh, the major league average, like 295, 300 thereabouts, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the year. Last year, though, Ray, uh, Aaron Judge was a guy who fell. I mean, he was 332 in 2021, 340 in 2022, and then 300 in 2023. He was league average last season. Let's talk BABIP. Uh, this is a column that people can buy it in the uh, Fantasy uh, Guru Draft Guide. It's available. People can dig into it. You've spotlighted a few items. A, a lot on this sheet, Ray. Uh, for a guy like Judge, we should know, okay, 340 sounds cool. Remember, that does not include all the home runs that he hit in that year where he was hitting with a 340 Babbitt. Yeah, because batting average in balls and balls in play is Babbitt. Home runs not a ball in play. It's over the fence. So home runs don't count in this. So you're right. If, if Aaron Judge can you know, have a 340 number here and hit 40 home runs, well, there you go. That's why he's so successful, right? Uh, now, you know, he's, and he's done a much better job of late with the strikeout when he started his career, he was a 30 plus percent strikeout guy, et cetera, et cetera. I think that there's a couple of things to know with batting average of balls of play, which kind of came in vogue. I don't know about a decade ago. Um, there, there, the league average is right around 295, 300, like Kyle said, most players end up around that. And when I say around that, you know, they're 280 to 320, right? They're a little 20 up, 20 down. They're around that. Some players, for a variety of reasons, the type of balls they hit, the, the the velocity they put on the baseball, like Aaron Judge. Some players are always at 340. Some players are always at 270. So while 300 is the average, and there tends to be a regression to that point, no matter where you fall, some guys are always above it. Some guys are always below it. So there's, there's reasons for that. So I think that a lot of people will say, well, his batting average of balls in play is 272. So he's going to get better. Mm-hmm. In theory, Yeah. But we have to dig in beyond that. It's almost like batting average of balls in play is a gateway drug, Kyle, because it's the, it's the way you notice things seem, seem to be going really well or going really poorly, and let's figure out why that is. Well, and, and I think, Ray, you kind of work on the edges of BABIP, especially preseason or in season. 
when you're judging a hitter and, oh, can they sustain this or is this just bad luck? I mean, you look at the edges and the extremes and you see guys with like a 220 BABIP or you see guys with a 408 BABIP. And, and that's really where I've used it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, if there are guys that, uh, wow, I didn't know Yandy Diaz hit 330 last year and you start to kind of look into why and you check the BABIP and you see if there's anything crazy or silly there. Is it way outside of his norms? So you're right. It's kind of that gateway entry point. But I do find in season, Ray, because people love to trade. And I, I think that's one of the numbers I always look at when a guy maybe is disappointing and you're thinking of buying low or mm-hmm. selling high. BABIP is a number to me, Ray, that can kind of indicate some of those targets on the sell high and buy low in season. I think that, again, to me, it's more of a gateway drug than the answer. And you can see the reason there in point number three it takes 750, 800 yeah. plate appearances for this number to normalize. So what we'll often see, and this happens every year to your point, Kyle, is we'll see someone with a 395 mark in the first half and the player's batting 330 and everyone's jazzed, right? It's going to be top five in the batting title race this year. Then the number drops to you know 301 in the second half and the guy hits 270 in the second half. So yeah, you want to be careful here because the sample size, again, you need more than a full season if we're being honest about that. Uh, so if you're making that move on May 15th, you're taking a chance because it could continue. It could drastically change. It could be the same. But I think it's, a, again, it's a good starting point for me because, you know, we know, as an example, you can't post a number of 380 year after year. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it, right? We know that if the guy's got a mark of 420, well, yeah, there's no possible way that that's going to continue for the, the course of the season. So it's it it's useful in that respect. But I, I just I, I feel like a lot of people use it as a crutch. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, you can run into t- rough spots. You can run into danger zones if that's the only thing you're looking at. Does it really matter to anything else besides? I know it matters because the more hits, the more runs, the ribbies, all that stuff kind of profiles. But is Babbitt mainly just used in tandem with average for you? I mean, is that kind of like, okay, a batting average, I'm looking at this number that counts in my league. And really, Babbitt is just a feeder to that number. It's it's Or does it feed it all into home runs or ribbies or is that, yeah, it does because they're on base more, but there's really no correlation, perhaps. Well, look at that little graph we got there. If you hit a line drive, your batting average of balls of play is 630. So, yeah, 630, which means your batting average is 630 or better. Right? Line <laughs> <guess>. drive, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? And then you see the batting average of balls of play of 95 on fly yeah. balls. Why? Because it doesn't count any of the home runs, right? So the number would be way higher, if it, but it doesn't count any of the home runs. So basically, they're you know hitting that lazy fly ball to center field versus hitting the line drive in, in between the second and third base hole. So I think that even when you look at batting average of balls in play, you have to understand the type of hitter we're dealing with, because you know Luis Arias can have a higher mark than Aaron Judge just because of the style of, of balls that they put in play. Now that's not always the case. Aaron Judge is a bad guy to talk about because he is an outlier because mm-hmm. he, again he hits the ball as hard as anyone who's ever lived. So, you know, the edges, yeah, uh, I think it has some relation to batting average, but you need to take that second step to understand what type of batted balls are that batters, you know, pervy. One other bullet point you've got on there. What is it? Uh, Number three or number two. Any change of the BABIP of uh, 30 points up or down deserves a red flag for their study. Um, As we leave BABIP, that leads us to the Cleveland Guardians. That leads us to our player profile of Stephen Kwan, who you see behind Ray there, and now you see an image of Stephen Kwan. This is a guy, Ray, that magic number of 30 in his uh, rookie season. The BABIP was 
323. In his second season, it was 294, 30 points down. Um, and what do you know? The batting average fell 30 points. The on-base percentage fell 30 points. And combined, the OPS fell 60 points. <laughs> you know, all this thing. So th this is kind of a good follow-up to BABIP as we uh, enter with the Cleveland Guardians. And again, we like to start with the player profile. We'll get to some other things with the team. But let's start with Stephen Kwan. He's he's not a unicorn, Ray, but uh, he's a unique player. We don't see a lot of guys like Kwan who mainly his top ability is uh, singles, putting the ball in play, not striking out. Um, there's not a great deal of power here. You know, there aren't any takeoff numbers, and it begs the question, how good is he as a fantasy asset? He may be one of those better real-life players than fantasy players. Yeah, he's very much – you'll remember this name because I talked about it. Nick Madrigal was supposed to be this guy, and he just never – he couldn't stay healthy, and he's still kicking around trying. But uh, Quan is a fascinating player for two reasons. One, because, again, the batting average of balls in play, if that's the same numbers year before, his line is almost identical to his rookie season. Yeah. Like everything – and I love this. His isolated power mark was 101 and 102. Like he was the <laughs> same exact guy in the two years. There was just a little fortune or lack thereof, you know, with the base hit, little six inches this way, four inches that way kind of thing. So I think we have a very, obviously, a very good handle on who he is. That stability is fantastic. I think he's more of a 285 hitter than a 265 hitter. So if we get 285, we get 20 steals. He plays every day and scores 90 runs. Okay, we can find a spot for that in deeper mixed leagues. In the 10-team league, the lack of power hurts you a little bit. Yeah. And I think that's the secondary part that you're talking about is that what is his real value? He is a better real life player than a fantasy player. If you're in a points league, he's tough because there's no power. If you're in a roto league, there are there are certainly ways you can use him, but it's kind of like the old Joey Gallo in the other direction. Joey Gallo was all power and you had to work around the batting average. Kyle Schwarber, right? There's You've got a weakness if you take this guy. It's a different weakness with Quan because he'll give you some steals and give you the batting average, but the counting category, especially the home runs and RBI, is just not going to be there. So you have to – it's almost like you have to construct your team understanding that because if you need to hit 318 home runs and he's only going to hit six, got to find it somewhere else. And and the spot he's going, you see the ADP 214. If you look at other outfielders, all of them in that area are a mess. And, and, and by a mess, I mean none of them. They all have pockmarks. You know, to where surely one of these 10 guys will hit this year. But, you know, Quan's issue is not the issue that Christopher Morell has. You know, Christopher Morell's issue is, well, it is kind of the issue that Jared Kellenick has. <laughs> you know, um, Starling Marte's issue is not Jared Kellenick's issue. Like all of these guys, right? By the time you get to where Quan's going off, they all have issues. I, I think my issue with Quan Ray, as I see it, the only true upside here is going to be the batting average and everything else is like, that's it. You know, I, I guess he could have 30 steals maybe, but I kind of feel like, you know, with Starling Marte, maybe he turns back the clock and has that last 2020 season. Right. You know, 2020 is never happening with, with Stephen Kwan. And, and honestly, Ray, when I look at all those other options, it's not that I don't like Kwan or I wouldn't draft him. But if I'm drafting Stephen Kwan, it's because at that point in the draft, I'm short on batting average. Because nothing else, Ray, really excites me. I, you could say the runs. But really, I'm making a Stephen Kwan play at that point because I want a 295-300 hitter. And so I think if your team has gotten to that point, you're short at average, he's going to fit better than Christopher Morrell. 
Right. He's going to fit better than Jared Kellenick on uh, Dalton Varsho. That that's where Quan wins out over those other guys at that point. Yeah, and it's tough. Over the years, we did the whole Billy Hamilton thing. You and I joked he can't hit, but he's stealing 58 bases. So there was always at the end of the season, you look at the numbers, and it's like, well, he grades out really well in the fantasy space, even though really he's pretty deficient. You know, Kyle Schwarber's the same way. 40, 95, 95 is fantastic. If he's hitting 202, that's not so good. Quan is the same kind of guy, just a different style of player, right? He just goes about doing it in a certain way. There's a couple of things he's really good at. There's a couple of things he's not good at. So, you know, he's tough to evaluate. I think you end up at the end of the day, I do, ranking him as like an outfielder five, which I think is fair. But he might be an outfielder five for my team based upon the way it's built. It may not be an outfielder five for your team based upon the way your team is built. So that is very important. He is not someone that you just plug in regardless. He is someone that has to fit your roster construction. It's very important with Stephen Kwan. And as a look at Stephen Kwan, let's get to our four questions for the Guardians as we continue our team preview. Number one, Ray, does Shane Bieber have anything left? I mean, I I, I kind of worry about this guy, don't you? I do. Uh, and I think that the one thing we all point to is the lack of velocity. The velocity has just been going down the last couple of years. And I think he can still be a very effective pitcher, but if he's trending more toward, you know, Kyle Hendricks than Kevin Gaussman, right? And for what it's worth, there are videos out there. He went to driveline, okay? And there are videos out there. He's got the velocity back. So, you know, throwing in, in the in the cage with them is a lot different than on the hill, you know, in, in August. But I think that Bieber is a solid pitcher, should be drafted to be a solid pitcher. He should not be drafted to be a difference maker at all. I'd be shocked if he got back to his previous levels. For those who are in the autograph game, uh, you should just hang out at driveline in the parking lot. In the yeah, right. I mean, I feel like, Ray, there's like a line of major leaguers waiting to get in the driveline each and every day. So, so that's where you go for the ticket uh, for the autograph search. Um, number two, and I don't want to say it's it's the fall of Bieber. You know, Bieber was a Cy Young guy and doesn't appear to be anywhere there now. Jose Ramirez, and Ray, he is still, I mean, he went first round of your labor draft, but the question is, does he stem the decline? And I know these are just one number, but Ray, we've gone on, on OPS 993, 893-869-831. That's four years of falling OBPs. OPS plus, which is a little more fair, 167, 142, 148, and then 131. Uh, we're now in our 30s. Again, Ray, he's still being drafted like he's a stud. But I, I just wonder, what's the likelihood of him getting back to, say, an OPS plus of, of 150 or getting that OPS back to 900? Is, is that not there for, for Ramirez, you think? He's only 31. He's a really interesting guy because he's one of the few power hitters in baseball that has a walk to strikeout ratio that's really good, right? Mm -hmm. He's the anti of uh, Kyle Schwarber. His strikeout rate's 12% or whatever it is. Um, I think that the the entice the interesting thing with Ramirez, again, is his age. He's very comfortable with where he's at, his spot in the lineup, and the fact he runs. And because even though the league runs more and we had all the steals stuff go through the roof in 2023. We still have a guy who almost went 25-25. I think it's smart to pace your expectation with Ramirez at last year's levels. Okay. Do that. Could he exceed that? Eh, he could. I think one of the hard problems with him is that this team is not an explosive offense. I mean, if he's got yeah. Quan and Jimenez ahead of him, okay. 
But, you know, Josh Naylor, Bo Naylor, Ramon Laureano behind them, like you start worrying a little bit about the, the runs and the steals column. I mean, excuse me, runs and the RBI column going up significantly from last year. Question three, you just mentioned them. The Naylor boys. Uh, there's a good chance these guys may be batting back to back in the lineup. Um, where do they fit for you, Ray? I think Josh had the surprisingly good year. Uh, Bo, we got our first look and for a catcher, it was fine. But how do you handle these guys? I, I'm still a little probably out than in on both of the nailers. I think both of them are elite second tier players at their position. By that, I mean out, just outside the top 12, right? So I think that Josh, I think, has reached his ceiling. He was spectacular with runners on base, and he's not going to ever be a 30 home run guy. I think you know he can be who he is right now, which is this is what I hope Ty France would be. We've talked about him before. Uh, I think Naylor, this is him. Okay. Bo, the catcher, I'm very intrigued by because we saw it. You know, he's got he's got a good offensive game and he started slowly last year, but then he really kicked it into gear down the stretch. I think he should play most days, which is nice for a young player. But there's a lot of there's other youngsters like Gabriel Moreno, uh, Kiebert Ruiz. Like I would prefer yeah. these youngsters on the offensive side over Bo Naylor. I think he's a strong catcher, too, but not someone that should be drafted as a catcher one. And our fourth question on the Cleveland Guardians. Do you remember, or should you remember, Ramon Laureano? <laughs> He's with Cleveland. Who'd have thunk it? Uh, he was traded last season. Very minor deal. Ray, there, there was a point two, three years ago where it's like, this guy's going to take off and be a five-category mm -hmm. dude. Mm -hmm. You know, home runs, stolen bases. He's going to drive in 95. He's going to score night. Like, he's going to be the legit. Never has happened. Uh, there was PED issues. There were... Yep. Did we lose Kyle? Kyle was saying PED issues. I'm going to keep talking here. Kyle was saying PED issues for Loriano. It's true. Uh, you look back at his 2029 season. He was you great. Have me to your right? point. I think yeah, you're Kyle. Yeah. But yeah, I was going to say, you, you yeah. nailed it. PED issues and everything going on. Should we remember this guy? Should we care about this guy? Is, is there any reason to take a flyer on Ramon Loriano anymore? He's outfielder 101 right now in the rankings at fantasyguru.com. <laughs> that so, would indicate no. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And that, and honestly, that might be aggressive. I, I just, I can't. He, he's there's too many injuries and there's too much up and down. He he could go 15-15, and I don't think anyone would be shocked by that. So mm -hmm. you know, there's something there, but his batting average isn't going to be strong. There probably will be injuries. There's some concern with the off the field stuff. I I just think you know, 2019 was a long time ago. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, new arrivals for this team again. Laureano came in the trade, but they were very quiet. And, and that's just Cleveland's MO right now. Uh, they're trying to trade guys away more than trade them in. Uh, Austin Hedges, Scott Barlow. I mean, that's legitimately like big names, if you will. Prospect-wise, and we talked about this guy a couple of weeks ago, Kyle Manzardo at first base, you know, or DH, wherever they want to put him, uh, probably going to break camp with this team. And Brian Rossio, uh, the shortstop, who to a lot of people is a top 15 prospect, Ray, the Guardians may have both these guys in their opening day lineup. They may. Uh, and I think in the case of Manzardo, it's really intriguing because dude can hit. He's a legit power hitter. He's a guy that should at, hit 30 home runs at the big league level when he's developed. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but if he does indeed end up not just making the team, but as their starter at first base, they can put, you know, Josh Naylor at DH. He's going to be someone that could buy for the, the rookie of the year award. Uh, so that is definitely a name. I was disappointed last night. I was going to grab him as my last guy last night. I ended up with mm -hmm. Nolan Chanuel because Manzardo went right before me. Uh, but he, he was definitely a target of mine at the end of that 15-team labor draft last night. Last thing on the Guardians, take a chance on who? 
I'm going to say take a chance on Kyle Manzardo. Okay. I'm going to have Andres Jimenez on here, who, you know, kind of did the same exact thing as the year before when he broke out. Wasn't exactly good, but it was all within the the realm of possibility. Uh, Last year, I feel like everybody was talking about him as a get. This year, I feel like nobody's talking about him as a get. So I'll put Jimenez there. As for my um, eh, pass on, Emmanuel Clase, Ray. And, and oh, again, it, you beat me it's up where you go to. It's, yeah. it's just where you have to draft. He is a top 20 pitcher. And it's just like, man, I can't go there. And the number, like the save number was impressive as hell. Mm-hmm. How he got there was not necessarily great, but it was good enough. I feel like last season he had a lot of efforts that guys were on base or he gave up a run, then he got a win or, you know, he survived for a save. Like in the end, all you care about is the save numbers, but. He, he's my pass on guy. The price is just just too high, Ray. Yeah, he's my guy too. And the, the, the fact is that it's the cost. And we have a series of articles that just came out. Relievers to target, relievers to avoid. He's in the relievers to avoid area. Uh, lost some strikeouts, lost some sexiness, um, had blew a bunch of games. Uh, still the guy, and I'm not... I still think there's a very real possibility yeah. of getting 30 saves, but I'm just not paying the price others are willing to pay. The thing is, he can struggle, and yeah. he's not losing that job. Yeah. I mean, Cleveland would keep rolling him out there. He'd have to be hurt and, and miss time, and like a guy moves in and takes over. Uh, so that is our look at the Cleveland Guardians. Tomorrow, everyone's excited for the Colorado Rockies. Oh, okay. It'll probably be nothing from Ray but Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers this, Brendan Rodgers that. I'll have that picture Maybe. behind me. Yeah, make sure of that. Mm. Um, let's go to our MLB positional preview this week. It's all things shortstop. Uh, middle of the week, so it's time to talk about the bums. Actually, a lot of names here, Ray. Many names at shortstop. Um, You see a couple of them there, Javi Baez, Jeremy Pena. We'll talk about them in depth. But you could throw Bo Bichette on this list. He was still good, but people thought he was going to be – I thought he was going to be MVP level. Didn't come close to that. Carlos Correa is absolutely on this list. Um, Willie Adamas of Milwaukee. Slid off a cliff. Tim Anderson, who doesn't, he was so bad. He doesn't have a team right now. We, we haven't talked about him at all, Ray, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Are, are you surprised he doesn't have a team at this juncture? Yeah, I think it's, he, and he's a guy speaking of batting average balls and play. He's someone that we highlighted forever because his batting average balls and play was always immense. Uh, last year, it fell to 323. It was still like a five-year low, uh, five, 323. He's amazing in that category. I am surprised that he doesn't have a team, but to be fair, his offensive game toileted last year. And he's one of these guys that he's kind of on that fine line, right? Kind of like Javi Baez on that fine line of, well, when it goes, it might just not come back. And when it goes, it's not pretty anymore. And so I'm surprised someone hasn't taken a chance because he's a veteran and, you know, he's an energy guy and all that. Um, but I'm I'm not surprised he's meeting less uh, excitement for his services than he probably anticipated. Bo Bichette, real quickly, are you still bullish on him? Mm-hmm. I, I am bullish on Bo Bichette, kind of still being a, a relative fantasy star. Yeah, Bo Bichette, I think, you know, when you have a down season, and I think it's fair compared to previous levels, you have a down season and you hit 300 with 20 home runs, like, you know, pretty good. Uh, I think the real issue for him is he's going to steal. Because after stealing 23 bases a couple years ago, he only has 18 in the last two. Mm-hmm. I think he can hit 300. I think he can be a 20 home run guy, you know, scoring 100 runs if everything goes right around him. The value likely comes from whether the steel column says nine or 19. 
let's hit these two guys that uh, folks who are watching us live can see, or even if you're watching us later. Um, Javi Baez, Jeremy Pena. Ray, Baez is very easy to, to say no to. Like, I don't know many people who are excited about Javi Baez. I don't know many people who think, oh, he can rediscover what he may have been. I, honestly, what he is now is not all that different from what he's always been. It's just, Ray, now maybe he's gotten to the age where the skill set can't overcome all the swing and miss, and maybe there's an attitude issue. But, like, this is an easy fade for me. Disappointing last year, and I'm not thinking that we're putting him into the surprise list 12 months from now. Yeah, I mean, you never know because I'll say this. He's been a very good player, and he's 31, okay? So in theory, if he's motivated in good shape and all that, he physically should still be able to get a lot of things done. Hasn't in a couple years. He's overpaid now for the Tigers. They're stuck. He's stuck there. I don't know. If attitude's probably an issue, as you pointed out. Um, he, he Could he go 2015? Yeah, he could. And you see, you saw it last night in the 15-team mix league. He went in the last round. Like people are just out and I get being out because I think if he rebounds the 2022 levels, you're still going to yourself. Do I care? So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he came out of nowhere to, to rekindle it just because, I mean, he does have a lot of talent, but I find it very difficult looking at all the data to feel confident that's going to happen. The guy below him, Jeremy Payne, obviously much longer or younger. He's 26, I think, coming into this year. The, the interesting thing with Payne, Ray, is – if you look at last season, it wasn't bad per se. He was about the same guy as the year before. But what happened and what alarmed people, the power evaporated. Uh, this guy went from a 426 slug to 381. OPS was a little lower. I mean, his batting average was better. His on-base percentage was better. You look at his counting numbers, you know, he was better with steals. He was better with runs, not by a significant margin, but he was better batting average again, 10 points higher. But Ray, this power, it, it just left. And, and I wonder, when you look at year one versus year two, he went from 22 homers to 10, and he had 55 more plate appearances, or I mean, 55 more at-bats in year two versus year one. Did his batted ball profile just totally flip-flop from year one to year two? I think the real problem with him is that, yes, it did. Uh, he showed up. If you remember, he showed up to camp last year with biceps like Lou Ferrigno. You know, he, he looked like the, the the his like the CMC thing a couple years ago, where the the picture was at yeah. such an angle that looks like his biceps bigger than your leg. Um, and he had that great postseason, and the expectations was too high. And I said it last preseason: your expectations are too high. You look at what happened last year. His fly ball rate went from forty six to fifty four percent. Okay, that's a huge number. That's where Stephen Kwan should be. That's not where you're going to be if you want to hit 25 home runs. Yeah. His launch angle went from 9% to 5%. He just didn't get the ball in the air. Worse than that, his barrel rate, which is when everything comes together, you hit a barrel, right? His barrel rate was cut in more than half. He simply didn't hit the ball with anywhere near the oomph he did the year before. And when he hit it, he hit it on the ground. So there, there's work to do here. I, I would not be surprised if he returned to his rookie season levels. I wouldn't. But again, what, what does that do for us in the fantasy space? 20 home runs, 14 steals, you know, batting 255. I mean, Javier Baez used to destroy that in his heyday, right? So mm -hmm. it's like Pena is a middle infield option in mixed leagues. Um, and there was some growth despite the lack of power last year. But I think he's really just a filler. He's just a guy. I don't think there's a skill here that's outstanding. Lastly, Carlos Correa. A uh, lot of money, big mm -hmm. name. 
Ray's kind of had that career where he's always been good, but never really great. Maybe a couple of times he's been great. Um, I hate giving up on a guy that young, but last year was just a disaster. And maybe it had to do with, and I get it, the silliness of the offseason, Ray, where he thought he was with one team this team. I mean, I get it. And maybe he never wanted to be in Minnesota, <laughs> but they would accept him. I, I don't know where I land on Correa. Like if I was stacking Baez, Peña, and Correa, I'd probably go Correa over these guys, but I, I wouldn't feel great about him getting like to a 25-90 season this year. Yeah, I wouldn't either. And I think that it's always been hard for me personally because I, I've i loved Correa, and his overall game is great. He's a leader. He's strong defensively. He looks He's got the a, part, yeah. Yeah, he looks the part, smile, the whole thing. Like he, his actions on the field are, are fluid and beautiful, but it just bleh. And, you know, you basically look at him and you profile him very similarly to Jeremy Pena, but with one steal. <laughs> you know, it's just like as much as you want to like Correa, he can't be doing anything other than just like your middle round guy if you wait like me to the Brandon Rogers zone. Like, because there's mm-hmm. just, there's not 30 home runs here. There's not 15 steals here. There's not a 290 batting. Like, it's just not here. If it all came together, could he have a monster season? I legitimately think he could. I don't think Javier Baez would. I don't think Jeremy Pena would. I do think Carlos Correa could, but I'm not going to pay a price to figure out because I'm likely to be disappointed. That is our looks at the uh, bums of last year and kind of an outlook for this season. Much more on shortstops coming up tomorrow. Uh, before we get out of here on Fantasy Sports Daily, a couple of news and notes. Matt McClain of the Reds, we talked about the Reds yesterday. Uh, McClain kind of spotlighted him as, hey, don't forget about Matt McClain. Um, he is dealing with an oblique issue. He tweaked it um, early on, says he's going to miss about a week. So something to maybe keep in your back pocket. Uh, Boston has added Liam Hendricks. Now, remember, Hendricks uh, underwent Tommy John surgery. It's a two-year deal. Very doubtful. I mean, we may see him in September. I guess you could see him. Uh, but more than likely, this is a signing for 2025. Uh, Ahmed Rosario to Tampa, Ray. That that seems That's a good Tampa move. I think Rosario is not an all-star by any stretch, but I, I wouldn't be stunned if Tampa Bay found a way to turn him into a surprise contributor. Yeah. And I, I kind of surprised that he didn't get like a starting gig, like with the Rays, it's like, it'll be a little bit here, a little bit there. We'll try, you know, and I, I think I wrote on the free agent piece over at fantasyguru.com something like it could be 350 plate appearances to 500. Like we just, yeah. it's, it's weird that he's not, cause there are teams that obviously could have used him as a full-time starter, but he'll probably, you know, have positional flexibility and you're right. Uh, the Rays have a tendency to kind of make things work out even when you're a little skeptical. Cubs made a, a couple of uh, veteran additions, Dominic Smith and David Peralta on the minor league roster. Not bad moves really for a team like the Cubs. Hinjin Ryu is uh, done in the majors. If he missed it over the weekend, uh, back to the KBO uh let's see oh the other one ray i wanted to touch on Tarek skubel there was a report he hit 100 yes i don't want my guy throwing 100 when he never really has i don't like that in the third week of february steve phillips said the exact same thing yesterday on sirius yeah. xm he's like save the bullets kid like what are you doing <laughs> I, I mean the hype in his adp is just outside the top 50 overall if people yeah. haven't looked the hype is out of control already and it's going to inch upward yeah. um he was great in the second half, great in the second half, and he's always been someone that everyone thought could be great. You love seeing that, but it, it's not even just he hit 100 in camp. It's mid-February. Like, it's early in camp. Like, it's a little concerning. I agree with you. More on Scooble and Detroit coming up, I think, later in the week. Maybe we'll get to them on uh, Friday. Uh, Ray, that will do it for us today on FSD. Fun talk. A lot of things. Good draft. Uh, we'll be doing more of that as we go through the uh, upcoming weeks and, I guess, months. 
Uh, but that will do it for us today. Thanks to everybody on YouTube and uh, X and uh, certainly Facebook. Uh, everybody who downloads, we appreciate it. Uh, Ray, we'll get back together on Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. All right. Have a good day, Kyle. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, more on short stops, more on uh, Colorado or something on Colorado. Who else is giving you the Rockies? If that's not enough to show up tomorrow, I don't know what is. We will see it. Kyle Elfrick here, Ray Flowers there. Have a good one. It's Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com.